Barely a week passes without a missile launch or a nuclear test in North Korea. But what about the economy? When attention does focus on the economy, the country is mostly characterised as an economic backwater. Compared with its southern neighbour, it has no global brands like Hyundai or Samsung, and it's only a few years ago that famine was reported to be widespread in the countryside. The only thing the place had going for it were nukes and a financial lifeline from China. But that may all be changing. Welcome to Benchmark, a show about the global economy. I'm Daniel Most, economics columnist for Bloomberg View in New York. And I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. Lately, there are signs that the North economic picture is brightening, admittedly from a very low base. Its economy grew almost 4% last year, faster than the US. It has a lot of catching up to do. Gross domestic product is a little less than $30 billion. To put that in comparison, South Korea's economy is about $1.4 trillion. But the North's economy may be changing quickly, thanks largely to markets, both legal and illegal. What? Markets? What's going on here? Isn't this the ultimate Stalinist state? And to what extent is it emboldening North Korea, and could it also be a sign of weakness? Now, joining us to explain this boom that nobody noticed is B.Y. Kim, a professor at Seoul National University and the author of the well-timed recent book, Unveiling the North Korean Economy, Collapse and Transition. Professor, thank you for joining us where it's your evening and our morning. That's right. Thank you so much for having me today. Professor, let's start with the basics. How is North Korea's economy doing right now? But the economy has been stabilized. If you remember the famine in the late 1990s, uh, a lot of people have died because of famine. At that time, we estimate about uh, 600,000 people have died of starvation. But now nobody talks about uh, starvation in North Korea anymore. That is, although there is uh, malnutrition or undernourishment, but starvation is uh, now remote. So economy has been okay and stabilized. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, economic growth rate last year recorded 3.9% per annum. And so what is driving the economy, Professor? What are the main uh, commodities, the trade? What's going on? How are people getting their money? How is North Korea getting its products and delivering them to the outside world? Yeah, I think there are three uh, factors which drive economic growth. The first one is markets. Uh, nowadays, North Koreans rely on markets for survival and uh, for prosperity for some people. And uh, about uh, 70 to 90 percent of house income uh, derives from markets. And 50 percent of people participate in the official economy, while uh, 70 percent people work informally. Therefore, in North Korea, although it's a socialist country, the market dominates in reality. The second factor is trade. Uh, North Korea can be regarded as being open economy in terms of the share of a trade in GDP, uh, which is about uh, uh, 50%. World average is uh, 58%. Uh, therefore, North Korea is a uh, rather open economy. 
That might surprise many listeners, Professor, given the images we have that it's kind of a grey, hermetic nation sealed off from the rest of the world with a population that's basically enslaved. How has what you've described gone so unnoticed? That, that's correct, because the, the image of North Korea uh, was based on uh, politics and uh, security, uh, from the perspective of politics and security, not from economic perspective. And these changes have occurred uh, in the middle and late 1990s. Uh, they call it uh, arduous march, and many people have died of starvation, and therefore markets emerged uh, unnoticed because uh, people were transacting everything possible in markets for survival. And afterwards, the, the government applied a zigzag policy on market activity. Sometimes they tried to repress. Sometimes they applied blind eyes to these uh, activities. So it's rather zigzag, but uh, uh, the process of expansion of markets has been occurring for the last uh, 15 years. And the current leader, Kim Jong-un, has actually given somewhat of a blessing to these markets, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, can you explain, you know, what's going on here and, you know, how they're helping the economy function? You know, how are people able to get the money to uh, buy commodities or to even participate in, in these markets that you talk about? Right. Uh, if uh, you remember, there was a current reform in 2009, they somehow tried to repress markets uh, by forcing conversion of the old currency with a new currency, with some ceilings. Uh, that intended uh, the shrinkage of markets because the, the authorities and Kim Jong-il, the father Kim Jong-un, uh, regarded markets as a domain of bourgeoisie. And so they applied... Uh, this uh, uh, policy against markets uh, to reduce market activities, but that failed. And uh, the prime minister apologized to people, and uh, they pointed out one person as scapegoat, and he was shot to death. And I imagine that uh, Kim Jong-un might have realized without markets, the economy would not go well and uh, people would not survive. And therefore, he accepted the markets uh, because it's a necessity. But on the other hand, he thought by himself, okay, hang on, the markets are okay right now because it sustains the economy and welfare people. But on the other hand, markets could become a danger or enemy in the long run. So what should I do? And perhaps he wants to concentrate on uh, development of nuclear weapons and missiles. In that way, can protect his power from external, po- external force. So is the economic upswing emboldening Kim, or is Kim's behaviour a product of markets weakening him? That's right. So in short run, markets help him to maintain power. By long run, uh, it weakens the power. Uh, that is a dilemma he faces because of marketization in North Korea. And these market activities are intertwined with trade, foreign trade, because foreign trade provides resources to markets, also provides purchasing power 
for market demand. Therefore, these markets and trade are like twins or different sides of coins, uh, exposing Kim Jong's power to foreign trade and markets could be in danger if something occurs regarding these two factors. Now, if you look at North Korea's neighbor, China, they opened up their economy 40 years ago, uh, and they still are engaged in this perennial struggle over how much of the economy to open to markets and how much should still be controlled by the state and how that threatens the power of the Communist Party. And I, I think a lot of people probably were making similar predictions years ago that you know that once China really opened up their economy that it would risk the power of, of the Communist Party. But in fact, the party today seems to be very strong and, you know, has, has somehow balanced this opening up of the economy with, um, you know, maintaining control and staying in power. Do you think that's possible to happen in North Korea as well? Well, uh, for the time being, I don't think that is a possibility in North Korea. Uh, if you look at the Chinese case, there were change in power, political power, from Mao Zedong to Deng Xiaoping. And uh, Deng Xiaoping uh, reformed the economy because in that way uh, he was able to uh, develop his power. But in the case of uh, Kim Jong-un, his power base is from his father and grandfather. And so it's difficult for him to deny the foundation of church ideology, which is inherited from his father and grandfather. Different situation in North Korea, you That's have the right. party of Kim, and in China, you have the Communist Party, so it's a little different. That's right. I think political change transformation preceded economic transformation in China, but we don't see this political transformation in North Korea. That is the biggest obstacle. But uh, if you look at this problem from different perspective, there is a possibility for him to be forced to take that road, Chinese road, or reform. Why? Because well, he may have to confront the expansion markets. At some point, he had to choose. Should I compromise or should I repress market activities? But the latter may be too risky for him. Then he may take the first option, compromise on markets. Then there could be a possibility that uh, uh, Chinese style reform can take place in North Korea. But critical to China's economic growth as it opened up its economy and as market reform strengthened, was the role of foreign direct investment, the manufacture of goods for use in Europe and North America in China. It's tough to see that happening in North Korea as long as there is a nuclear program. Exactly. Uh, that's why I think it's the, the growth, a sustainable way, and fast growth in, uh, in long period would be possible uh, as long as they adhere to nuclear weapons and long-range missile developments. Let's talk more about China, Professor. Right. You know, China does play a role in helping North Korea's economy. They really are the gateway to a lot of this trade, and it's hard to see North Korea's economy doing what it is without having some degree of support from China, which, which can really uh, affect whether, North, whether the North Korean economy lives or, or collapses. Is, is that right? Yes, that's right. 
Yes, but if you look at the uh, Chinese role in North Korea, I would say that uh, political leverage is limited, given nowadays circumstances, uh, relations between North Korea and China. But uh, China has enormous leverage uh, economically, so China can choose, say, between zero to 100. And zero means no pressure on North Korea. 100 means destabilizing North Korea economy and society. And they can choose, I think, any point between zero and 100. At what point are we now? Well, that's a good question. Well, I, I think it's the, if North Korea feels real pain, I would say uh, that should be, say, 70 or 80. I think now is the, the extent of pain would be about the 50 or 60. It's a bit lower than, say, optimal level of pressure. And what amount of pressure do the international sanctions have on North Korea, such as you know, the most recent round approved by the United Nations? Well, right. I think altogether, including the most recent one, uh, UN's SC, UN Security Council resolution, I, I think it's the, the level is about the 60, 50 to 60. And so we are a bit lower than the optimal level of pressure. So when we talk about a greater role for markets in the economy, ultimately, Professor, is North Korea going to be China or is it going to be the Soviet Union? One ended well, the other market experiment did not. Well, I think these two possibilities are quite open. Uh, I don't know which way they would go. Uh, I can't rule out the first scenario, which is uh, our preferred one. If I evaluate the possibility right now, I would say the second scenario is more possible because uh, it's difficult for him to accept market reform given his uh, circumstances and the power base. And to so try to fight against uh, markets, uh, then uh, some violent eruption or power struggle may uh, violent say, struggle, power struggle may erupt in North Korea. Uh, that could end the system. Then they may lead to the way of uh, a Soviet transition toward Russia. Professor, let me ask the question that's on everybody's minds. You're an expert on the economic situation in North Korea. And the topic that we hear most about, of course, is what's happening with uh, with, with Kim's nuclear tests, uh, you know, all the developments there, the different missiles that they have been testing. Uh, what is your personal opinion or how much concern do you have that this will end badly for everybody, that there will be some sort of attack from North Korea on perhaps Seoul or somewhere else, and, you know, that it would be a nuclear attack? How, how much is that concern in your mind or fear in your mind? Well, I'm concerned uh, as human being because if any kind of uh, military conflict uh, in the Korean Peninsula, uh, it could have uh, devastating effects on people here. Uh, therefore, I'm worried. However, the possibility of having war in the Korean Peninsula is limited. Uh, for the same reason I explained, because the damage uh, is uh, too large. To bear. Uh, from the North Korean perspective, Kim Jong 
but I don't think he uh, will initiate any war against the United States or against South Korea or Japan. Because I, I believe he's a rational person, although he's a cruel, uh, he wants to be seen as a madman, but I think he's a rational guy. And uh, he knows that if he attacks militarily the United States, South Korea, Japan, that means the end of his regime himself. So uh, he's a person who loses everything. So he's the only person, I think, who uh, is the person uh, you know, who, whose damage is largest by this kind of uh, military conflict. But therefore, he would not dare to start any war against other countries. Professor, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Well, Scott, the real surprise here from talking to Professor Kim is just how vibrant he makes the North Korean economy sound. And that really isn't the way it's been portrayed. Well, it might be vibrant compared with how it was 10 or 20 years ago. But, you know, compared with its southern neighbor or China or Japan, it's far, I think it's still far, far from being uh, anywhere close to those And I guess the interesting uh, point of tension is, as North Korea tries to adopt market reforms, does it become like China, where markets have grown the economy and cemented the grip of the party, or does it go down the route of the Soviet Union, where market reforms ultimately exposed the weakness of the party's control and foreshadowed its collapse? Well, it's interesting you say that because the Chinese have really they, – they've made it their business to take the lessons from the collapse of the Soviet Union and, and to not make those kinds of mistakes that led to uh, the Communist Party's collapse in, in the USSR and instead you know, take, them, take those away and do their best to balance the markets and state control of the economy that's kept them in power in China. And like the professor said – uh, you know, you have a big difference here where, it, as in North Korea, it's the Kim family that's trying to stay in power, whereas uh, in the Communist Party in China has found a way to transition power from one generation to the next roughly every uh, 10 years um, or so. So it's a party versus a family. Exactly. Benchmark will be back next week, and until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute, rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought. You can follow me on Twitter at Moss underscore Eco. Scott? I'm at at Scott Landman. Benchmark is produced by Sarah Patterson. Thanks for listening. See you next time.